The holdings of the giant despair were vast. A royal charter had been granted by Beelzebub himself many, many years ago, and no one under that prince's rule dared encroach on the giant's property, although his land was wide open on three of four sides. No walls or fences indicated its edge, no posts or signs warned of the certain tragic fate that awaited all trespassers. Still, there was no question where the public land ended and Doubting Estate began. The trees were thinner here, not dead, but devoid of lushness and color. The earth was packed hard and covered not with grass, but with some invasive creeping vine that tripped and snared the feet of travelers. The air, too, was thinner and entirely devoid of birds, save for crows, which cawed loudly day and night. Most of all, though, a traveler could sense that he'd stumbled into the dark domain of Doubting Estate by the pervasive sense of hopelessness, which grew ever stronger the closer one came to the center of the sinister giant's plot and his home, Doubting Castle. This morning, Despair had just finished his rounds, scouring his land for intruders, a daily habit of his. Ironically, this was the only pursuit that offered him anything akin to hope these days. The giant loved discovering foolish wayfarers who'd stumbled unawares over his borders. He loved falling upon them with a speed that belied his massive frame and snatching them up by the scruff of the neck while they kicked and fought to no avail. He loved tossing them into the cage beneath his dungeon, locking the door with a clang and siphoning away his captives' joy, then their hope, then their very will to live. But today had been fruitless in that regard. In fact, it had been nearly a month since his last catch, and a sense of urgency was weighing on the giant's mind. He walked a bit faster, passing the stag's carcass from one hand to the other, gripping it by the eight points of one broad antler. It was a fine animal, and would easily feed two giants this evening. But no, it would only feed one. This beast would never suffice, not for the giantess's apprehension. Despair glanced down at the animal's vacant eyes and shared a brief moment of mutual dread. Something had to happen soon or there would be no living with her. Perhaps tomorrow the giant would venture out beyond his own lands, try to snatch a pilgrim or two from the king's road and drag them over the wall. No, that would never do. The sun shone more often in that land, which invariably brought on one of the giant's fits, leaving him far more vulnerable, which would be deadly beyond the wall, where Sir Great Grace, Mr. Greatheart, and Lady Daring were known to frequent that stretch of the narrow road where it ran along the meadow near the stile at Indolent Pass. At his best and on his own land, the giant despair feared facing such foes. With the advantage theirs, it would mean certain death. He had no doubt. As he approached Doubting Castle, he looked up into the gray sky, toward the crooked tower of Beelzebub in the distance, and steeled his nerves for the coming confrontation. Upon entering the castle's great hall, he tore the stag open and, with a knife from his belt, cut away a good deal of meat, which he roasted over the fire before adding it to the pot of bubbling stew which he'd been cooking for nearly a week, continually refreshed with new ingredients. Along with the meat, he added some more carrots, garlic, and a gallon of bouillon-infused beer. He sat there by the iron pot while it cooked and the sun went down until the dancing fire was the only source of light. 
He then filled a large clay bowl with the savory dish, snatching a torch from the wall and igniting it in the fire. He mounted a broad, twisting staircase to the chamber at the very top of the castle's keep. He wrapped his bloated knuckles gingerly against the heavy wood door and called out, I brought dinner. May I come in? A long, drawn groan from behind the door was the only response, and despair took it as an invitation, entering the dark room. It was cold up here, as the giantess liked it, and sparsely furnished. Along the outer wall sat a long, deep, straw-filled mattress, piled with so many blankets that Despair had to let his eyes adjust before he could see the rise and fall of Apprehension's breath beneath them. Some years earlier, Despair had purchased the giantess a fine canopied bed with a white poplar headboard, which he had presented to her on the Feast of the New Year. But true to form, she had grown suspicious of him and his intentions, and ultimately of the bed itself, which she then broke into pieces and pushed out the narrow window of the tower, sending it plummeting down to the earth below. Holding the bowl up to where he guessed her nose must be, he troubled the bowl of stew, hoping the aroma would awaken her appetite, or at least awaken her. She did not stir. I brought you food, he said, his facade of gentleness threatening to crack. Rise. Eat. Slowly, the blankets fell away and a long, hollow face came into view in the torchlight, two sunken eyes framed by gaunt cheeks. What is it? She asked. Meat. You'll like it. Try some. The giantess pushed her nose into the bowl and sniffed, then recoiled. Oh, I do not want venison. I know, but- I want men. Women. Pilgrims wandered in off the road, drained of hope, like a stag bled dry. And I'll provide it. In the meantime, you have to eat something. Despair gestured again with the bowl. To hold you over until another pilgrim presents himself. She pulled the blankets back over her head. From beneath them, her muffled words were loud and clear to the giant Despair. Go and find me a pilgrim, or find me dead. From your lack of provision. High and Silver and Gut Check Media presents The Pilgrim's Progress. From this world to that which is to come. John Bunyan's timeless Christian allegory, as told by Zachary Bartles. Chapter 17 Doubting Castle. For days, life had been like a dream for Christian and Hopeful. The road continued to follow the winding river with its cool, crisp water. The fruit and leaves of the life-giving tree were always near at hand. But then, as they knew it eventually must, the two diverged, the narrow way going one way and the river another. Unwilling to go out of the way, they each took one last long pull of the heavenly water and filled their packs with the fruit before leaving this blessed resource behind. Immediately, the ground became rough and rocky, and the pilgrims began to feel the sort of weariness they hadn't experienced in many days. Their feet became raw and blistered, and not only their souls, but their very souls were affected, and they soon grew impatient because of the way. They traveled for a full day and suffered a cold and restless night of tossing and turning along the side of the road where they found the fruitless, leafless trees yet too green to provide a fire. 
Christian and Hopeful awoke to find the sky gray and the air cold. They returned thanks before eating some of their gathered fruit, which was far less appealing when not freshly picked, and began to discuss the day ahead. It smells like rain, Hopeful observed. Yes, it will certainly rain today, Christian agreed. I can feel it in my knee. Hopeful laughed and poked at his friend. You are so old. <laughs> Christian just nodded. Older every day and closer to the city each day. Today is no exception. Hopeful pushed his toe at the uneven ground beneath them. But if it rains and these ruts fill with water, that might be... Uh, I wonder if we should perhaps wait it out. No? Just wait and see? Christian stood and stretched. Hopeful, who was it who told you that pilgrimage was a fair-weather pursuit? It wasn't faithful, and certainly not me. Was it perhaps Mr. Byens? He winked at his friend, who chuckled sheepishly and followed him back onto the way, their faces set to the shining light, beaming dimly through the haze. But as they went, the sky grew darker, and the road became rougher, and by noon they were both wishing for a better road. And that is when the narrow way passed within twenty feet of the stone wall to their left. And just at that point where the two almost met, they saw a well-worn path from road to wall and a set of wooden stairs going up over it. <laughs> Look at that, Christian said. I wonder why the king would place a stile over the wall here. How do you know it was the king who placed it? Well, if nothing else, he failed to tear it down. That's something. I'm... I'm going to have a look. He carefully ascended the steep wooden steps and gazed out over the wall. What do you see? Hopeful asked. It's a beautiful meadow. There's a sign here identifying it. Uh, bypass meadow. I'll tell you, the, the ground looks soft and even, and there's a clear path beaten down, starting just the other side of the stile where many pilgrims must have gone before us. But you're always saying that we should never leave the way. That's just it, Christian mused. I don't believe we would have to. The path itself follows along the wall, just opposite the Pilgrim Road. We'd be on much softer ground and give our feet a much-deserved rest while remaining within, oh, 30 feet at most of the narrow way. Hopeful opened his mouth to speak, then looked back and seemed to think better of it. Where you lead, I will follow he said, and followed Christian over the stile and down into Bypass Meadow. Well, you were certainly right about one thing, Hopeful said, stepping out onto the soft ground. This is far easier on my feet. What a relief. And look, said Christian, as far as the eye can see, the path remains only a small distance from the wall. I suppose that's why they call it Bypass Meadow. Here pilgrims can skip the difficult terrain without losing their way. Why endure what we need not endure? Wisdom is still a virtue, is it not? They walked this trail for hours. As they went, the path veered slowly and steadily away from the wall until it was barely visible in the distance. Then the sky grew darker with clouds and the air began to thin. I, I have an ill feeling about this place, Hopeful said. I can barely make out the wall in the fading light. Christian, we are on unfamiliar ground, and for all we know, this path will take us straight back to the City of Destruction or some other... Look! Christian pointed to a man walking the trail ahead of them in the same direction. Oh, sir! He called out. 
The young man looked back at the approaching pilgrims, smiled, and beckoned them, but he did not slow his gait. Christian and Hopeful increased their own pace until they overtook him. They then clasped hands by way of greeting, still walking briskly all the while. What perfect timing to encounter another pilgrim just now. We were starting to have doubts. I'm Christian, and this is Hopeful, and we are on our way to the Celestial Gate. Pleased to meet you, the man said. I am Vain Confidence, and I too am headed to that gate, and to the holy city that lies beyond it. Christian turned to his companion and said, See? I told you this path would not take us off course. Have a little faith in me. They walked alongside Vain Confidence for a time, but he was not much for conversation, speaking only of himself and his exemplary progress and his unmatched speed until said speed pulled him away from Christian and Hopeful and he disappeared into the gathering darkness. I can't keep up with him, Christian said, his breath short. Nor can I, and I can't see, uh, anything. Only ten yards or so ahead of us. He looked around with growing concern. And while I'm sure the sun has not yet set, I cannot find it for the clouds. Christian motioned impatiently. Well, we're doing ourselves no favors standing still. To carry on, we'd need only see the very next step, and I can see the next dozen, so let's go. A shriek pierced the darkness from up ahead, and Christian took off running in the direction of the sound, drawing his sword as he charged down the well-trodden path. Suddenly, the ground was gone from beneath his feet, and he felt himself falling into a deep, dark void. Then, just as suddenly, he was jerked violently back. Christian landed hard atop Hopeful, then rolled onto the earth and lay there for a moment, willing his heart to stop pounding. He sat up and gazed at the massive pit into which he had very nearly fallen. Oh, Hopeful, you... Oh, my... You... He crawled up to the edge and peered down into the never-ending darkness. Are you all right? Hopeful said, drawing up next to him. I am, thanks to you. But tell me, can you see the bottom of this pit? I fear that our man Vain Confidence may have fallen in. I see nothing, Hopeful said. But listen. They could hear the faintest of groaning and shallow, broken breathing from down below. Christian sheathed his sword. We have to pull him out. Oh, I wish I'd heeded Mr. Greatheart's advice. A coil of rope would be most useful right now. A crack of thunder, and the sky lit up for a moment, searing the gruesome image of vain confidence, his body twisted obscenely at the bottom of the pit into both of their minds. A moment later, the floodgates opened above. I don't think rope would do us any good. Hopeful said. Even if that man is somehow still alive, which I can scarcely imagine after such a fall, he is gravely injured, mortally injured, and with this rain, the bottom of that pit will fill with water in a short time, drowning him. They sat in the downpour for a few minutes, listening to the rumbling thunder. Christian, where are we? Hopeful asked. Christian said nothing. We should have stayed on the narrow way. Hopeful muttered, I knew this was foolishness. Then why didn't you say something? I did. I offered a gentle caution, if you'll recall. I would have spoken more plainly, but you are older than I and more experienced on this road, as you continually remind me. I'm sorry, brother. You have saved my life, though I have greatly wronged you. 
My pride and my aversion to suffering have brought us out of the way and into grave danger. I beg you, Hopeful, forgive me. It was not out of evil intent. Hopeful smiled. I forgive you, and I believe God will work even this out for our good. Another flash of lightning, and the smile died on his lips. What's wrong? Christian asked. Did you see the size of that pit? The the depth? What manner of man or engine could possibly dig something so enormous? Christian stood and took several steps back from the deadly chasm. Only a giant, he said. Aye, we are on dangerous ground, Christian. All right, let's keep our heads here. Up ahead, there may be pitfalls and man traps aplenty, but the road behind us is safe. We've seen it, we've walked it. We could backtrack and Hopeful shook his head. Not in this downpour. Look, he gestured at the ground beneath them, a muddy mess of battered grass and gushing channels, further obscured by the sheets of rain and the dark. Okay, Christian nodded. New plan. The wall is that way, to our right. It must be. So we travel in that direction, slow and careful, until we hit the wall. Then we follow it back to the stile and over to safety. Agreed, Hopeful said. I'll go first. No, please, this is all my fault to begin with. Let me go before you so that any tripwires or deadfalls out there will claim my life, not yours. Christian, no. Your mind is troubled, and I fear you might lead us astray yet again. This time, you follow me. Christian nodded his assent. And don't despair, my friend. Remember the words of the prophet. Let your heart be toward the highway, even the way you once went. Turn there again. Christian looked down at his shoes, soaked through and bogged down in the mud. One thing's for sure. It is easier going out of the way when we are in than going in when we are out. Let's get moving while we still can. They traveled with all care, but the terrain tended downward and the water rose up and it crossed Christian's mind more than once that they both might be drowned before they ever saw the narrow way again. Still, they pressed on, persistently, choosing every step with care. By the time they reached the high stone wall, night had truly fallen, and the darkness had thickened all around them. I can't go on, Hopeful said, resting his hands on his knees. The water was nearly up to their waists now, and it was clear to both men that a second leg of this journey was out of the question tonight. Nor I... Christian said. So, what are we waiting for? Give me a boost. Hopeful cradled his friend's foot and lifted him up along the wall, high as he could, but the slick stone offered no traction and Christian slid right back down, falling once again in the muck. As he stood, dripping wet, he began to shiver. I'll try again, he said. Just a minute. Let me, let me catch my breath. You'll catch your death, Hopeful amended. This is no good. We can't get back tonight. We need to find somewhere dry to ride out this storm. Looking up to the heavens with hands held high, Hopeful cried out, Oh Lord, deliver us! Point us to the way of life! Just then, a crooked bolt of lightning connected with the top of a nearby hill, filling the air with a heavy chemical odor. There, Hopeful said, high ground. We'll find no standing water there. I'll fashion a shelter, a lean-to of some kind, some measure of protection from the elements. It's our best chance. 
Abandoning caution, he fairly dragged Christian the 200 yards to the top of the hill, where, in another flash of lightning, they saw a modest stone building, still and dark inside. Hopeful tried the door, expecting it to be locked. It swung open. The first thing that hit him was the smell of clean straw, followed immediately by a most welcome warmth. Hopeful shut the door and felt around in the darkness until he discovered the heap of dry straw where he helped Christian lie down, and after another moment of searching, he found several incredibly large saddle blankets. He spread three of them over his companion, and lying down next to him, wrapped himself in the fourth. And there, despite the pounding rain and the crashing thunder, the two of them immediately fell asleep. The sound of a heavy door creaking open snatched Hopeful from his dreams. He opened his eyes only to be blinded by the dull gray daylight shining into their shelter around the massive silhouette of a giant, a nightmarish image coming more into focus with every passing second. Hopeful remained perfectly still, trying to melt down into the pile of straw beneath him. As his eyes warmed to the light, he sensed Christian beside him, shrinking back beneath the blankets. Neither of them so much as breathed. The giant entered the building, and only then did Hopeful notice just how high the roof was. The doorway must have been ten feet tall, and still the giant had to duck his head on the way in. Yet holding his breath, Hopeful squeezed his eyes shut, realizing how infantile an impulse it was to try and disappear in his own darkness. I see you both, came a grim and surly voice. Awake, arise, and face your fate. Christian leapt up from beneath the blankets and put a hand to his sword. The giant smirked. You'd kill me here, within my own walls. What sort of miscreants are you? We are not miscreants, sir. We are pilgrims, bound for the celestial city. And if we are trespassing, we apologize. There was a great storm last night, and we got turned around. We very nearly died before we found your storehouse here. You still might. Hopeful stood at Christian's side, craning his neck up to meet the giant's malicious glare. He could sense that he and Christian were thinking the same thing. If they would have any prayer of defeating this monster, it would have to be in here. The walls were tall but narrow, and the space was tight. Plenty of room for the pilgrims to maneuver, but the giant would find himself bumping, crashing, and tripping in this confined space. Hopeful glanced at his brother pilgrim. Well, the giant demanded, if you are honorable pilgrims, as you say, you will want to face the consequences of your crimes with honor. No, you have trampled in my grounds, made your bed on my land, and now you must go with me. He stepped back out into the dreary morning and beckoned them. What should we do? Hopeful asked. We can't outrun him, and I don't like our chances in battle. Nor do I, Christian said. And he's right that we did trespass. If there's any justice here, our punishment should be light. After all, we meant no harm. Come out now, the giant growled, or I'll bring the roof down on your heads. Before we do, Christian called, tell us your name. I am Despair, Beelzebub's champion and rightful owner of Doubtful Estate, where you now transgress. The two pilgrims came out, shoulder to shoulder, through the massive doorway. I'm not going to take your blade, Despair said. But if you draw it on me, I'll force-feed it to you. We clear? 
Christian nodded. Where are you taking us, sir? Look, yonder, he said, pointing to a crooked bulwark rising up above the horizon in the distance. That's Doubting Castle, and that's where you meet your fate. The two pilgrims trudged along, the giant on their heels. He continually jabbed at them, cajoling them to move faster, but the closer they got to the castle, the slower they walked. A sense of despondency weighed on them so heavily that both checked to see if their burdens had reappeared. By the time they entered the great hall of Doubting Castle, they were resigned to their fate, and any sense of fight had left them. A fire roared on the hearth, and a large iron pot bubbled with some savory-smelling food. Are you hungry? Oh, very much so, Christian said. So is the giant chess, Despair said, grabbing up the pilgrims by their necks and carrying them down a dank stairway to a stinking dungeon where he stuffed the two of them in a large iron cage suspended from the ceiling. Slamming and locking the cage door, he looked at them with wild eyes and added, So be quick about it. A moment later, he was gone. The cage would have been too small for one man, let alone two. There was no room to stretch out, no room to stand up, even sitting meant hunching over, and within an hour both men were aching and beginning to feel the frenzy of confinement setting in. How long do you suppose he'll keep us here? Hopeful asked. How should I know? A week? A day? I don't think I could even survive that. Hopeful sneered. What was it you promised before we came over the wall? Much softer ground without ever leaving the narrow way? How well that worked out. Christian kicked at the bars. Yeah, the only thing soft here is you. Not used to being on this side of the cell door, are you? I've been a prisoner in Nanity. I know what it's like, okay? And I have no intention of staying here. All right, all right. Let's stop sniping at each other and form a plan. The giant has got to come back, if only to feed us at some point. And when he does, you draw your sword and we'll both attack him. Do you have a weapon? Hopeful twisted and jerked until he could access his bag. Not exactly a weapon, but dangerous enough. He pulled out a paring knife and a leather wrap. He went through my bag. I'm surprised he left it. And you your sword. It will prove a fatal mistake. Christian chuckled darkly at the tiny blade in Hopeful's hand. Did you see that creature? What are you going to do with that thing? Pick his teeth? Then lend me your, your javelin, all prayer. Christian reached up to his back and pulled at the weapon, but he couldn't draw it in the confines of the cage. Likewise, his sword would only slide six inches or so in its sheath before striking the bars. We need to get out first, said Christian. Then we fight. I with my sword, and you with the spear. Despair knocked lightly on the giantess's door. When she did not answer, he entered, walking softly for the giant. I have news, he blurted loudly. Unless your news is that you've snatched me a pilgrim, be gone. I am still here. She sat up, wincing in pain. Despair looked down at her, not quite managing to hide his alarm at her appearance. Her once ample arms hung down in waves of dappled skin. Her cheekbones seemed to be pushing out against the skin of her face in an attempt to free themselves. She was truly disgusting to him, and yet the giant could not help but swell with pride as he asked her, 
What shall I do to prepare them for you, my love? Her face twisted into a vicious grin, like a carved pumpkin from the pagan north, left to dry in the sun. Let them suffer through the night, and in the morning, <laughs> beat them. Beat them without mercy. Thanks for listening. To support this program and for additional content and perks, visit patreon.com slash pilgrimsprogress and or take two minutes to leave an honest review wherever you get your podcasts. The Pilgrim's Progress, From This World to That Which Is to Come, adapted by Zachary Bartles from John Bunyan's classic manuscript. This text, copyright 2022, Zachary Bartles. This recording, copyright 2022, high and silver, all rights reserved. Produced by Brad Atchison and Zachary Bartles. Other sound effects and music licensed from Pond5 and Audio Micro. For more engaging audio fiction, visit www.zacharybartles.com slash audio. and silver. Got to.